Hi, and welcome to Over the Rainbow, the podcast all about colour. So it's a pleasure to welcome um, Caroline here today. Normally it's just Hugh and Helen and myself um, who just witter on for a while about colour. Um, today we're talking about colour in fashion and fashion marketing. So we thought we'd get somebody on who, who knew about these things. Um, we know nothing about these things. So uh, welcome, uh, welcome Caroline. Thank you very much for having me. So c- can you maybe just start us off with um, telling us about whether or in what way is colour important in, in fashion? Yeah, so um, I'd say that colour is sort of vital within fashion and the fashion industry. Um, both in terms of the products, so the colours of garments um, and accessories, um, but also in terms of like the branding and marketing as well of fashion product. Um, you know, we we have certain colour associations, I think, with many brands, be that um, like a yellow Selfridges bag, um, which is, you know, you see it and you instantly know where that bag's from. Um, so from the branding side of things, uh, to the actual design of the garments um, is very, very important. Is it true that what they what you see in fashion shows is is a more extreme version of what might appear in the shops? I mean, are, are fashion shows more colourful, for example, generally, and, and things get toned down? Is that is that fair to say? Um, I think that depends on the brand. Um, so each designer will have a particular aesthetic and a particular style, um, particular colours that they may be known for. Um, but yeah, certainly some designers might use quite a lot of colour um, and it might not be appropriate to have quite as much extreme colour within a high street collection, for example. Um, but then you also have designers that, you know, produce haute couture collections with a very muted colour palette. Um, so yeah, it depends on it depends on the brand, depends on the designer. Um, but, you know, certainly when it comes to things like trends... Um, you know, I think haute couture or high-end fashion designers are perhaps more experimental um, and we see kind of the extreme design ideas on the catwalk. Um, and then when it comes to being actually in our high street store, it's often a, a much more toned-down version of that, so it's more more accessible for more people. So the, the big question I've always had, always thought this, is... If, if colour is so important in fashion design, why is it when you look at a fashion show, all those people on the front row are all dressed in black? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what is going on there? Why, why aren't they dressed in beautiful colours? Yeah, I guess um, black is a classic colour, isn't it? I think, you know, we, we think about little black dress or whatever. It's, it's a classic colour. It doesn't, doesn't really go out of fashion, whereas perhaps some of the bolder colours... Um, they do come in and out of fashion a little bit more. Do you think they're afraid? You know, do you think they're afraid of wearing colour? Yeah. In the sense <laughs> that it's, it's, it's more of a... I mean, it's, in a way, if, if a fashion designer, you know, is afraid, it's, it's, it's a bit worrying, isn't it, for the rest of us? Yeah, I guess um, dark, you know, neutrals or blacks, blues, greys, um, you know, they're safer colours. Um so perhaps that's why many of us kind of err towards that. I, you know, we're, we've actually 
can see each other on the screen at the moment and we're all wearing similar sort of blues and greys. Um, well, apart from Hugh, of course, who's wearing... <laughs> Bright pink. Yellow, yellow pink. But the, but, but the listeners can't see that. Um, but but one, one thing is, so one, one view is that it's, it's a sort of negative thing that they wear black, which I just sort of put forward as an idea that they're, they're afraid, actually, which is, if that is the case, it's, it's, I find it slightly disappointing. There's another possibility that it's more of a positive thing, mm. that they wear black because black is such a, a powerful, professional colour, mm. and, they're, and they're trying to convey that. So it's, it's not so much that they're scared of colour, but they've actually made a positive decision to wear black. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think it comes down to your own sort of style preference as well. You know, I think some people like to use fashion to really express their personality um and perhaps some people you know use color as a tool for that so not only the design of the garments but actually the color of those garments as well being really expressive in their personality whereas other people perhaps prefer to be more reserved with their kind of color choices and design um, so i think it does link to our personalities quite a lot have you um seen that book called chromophobia by david bachelor I never spoke to you about that. Have you seen it? You? No, you've you've definitely mentioned it to me before, though. Yeah, there's a, there's a David Bachelor is a, a UK artist. He wrote a, a really great book called Chromophobia, and what he basically said is that in the Western society, at least, colour tends to get either made into something which is irrelevant; it's not as important as the main thing, or it's it's in Fantalized, I think is the correct word. You know, it's used for children. And it's, you know, if you look at such children's websites for toys, for example, all of these bright colours. If you looked at a sort of a, a website, for example, um, which is targeting adults, and I don't mean adult products, but um, adults, you know, no, sophisticated people, um, you tend to get muted or, or, or darker colours. And he, and he essentially says that um, people are often a sort of a little bit afraid of colour. And it goes back to, of course, Newton's classic experiment of passing light through a prism. And when he did that, um, before Newton, there was a feeling that when you passed white light through a prism and it came out coloured, the white light was pure. And it then picked up impurities as it went through the prism, and that's what Newton's experiment showed not to be the case. Um, and you can also link that to the, the idea that sort of white and black are these classic um, colours, if you like, you know, the, the sort of the white statues in ancient Greece. But as we know, and I, th and I think we have mentioned this before, all of those statues in ancient Greece and ancient Rome were really brightly coloured. And that's been known since about 1850. But despite that, if you watch any Hollywood movie, it shows those statues still as being, being white. Because this idea that white is, is classical and, and sort of pure, it's, it's a really a, a, an old idea about colour. So I'm often really curious about what really is behind so many of these um, fashion designers wearing black. I have a colleague, I won't say who it is, I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast, um, by saying he had already given it away a little bit, but he looks a bit like Snape. You know, he's always dressed 
all in black, black shoes, black trousers, black sort of polo neck, black jacket. Um, it, I, I do think it's a really curious thing. Yeah, a lot of I think a lot of designers though they do like designers, architects, they'll always be wearing like black or you know neutral colours. Um, I don't know, maybe that's part of part of the job or, or something, part of the uniform. I was say maybe they see it as a uniform. Yeah, you know, I, I suspect it's I, I suspect it's it's a bit it's more of a positive thing that they're trying to make a particular statement than it is actually that they're scared to wear colour. But it makes you wonder if they go home and then put on all their they're really brightly coloured jumpsuits at home. And they only wear black when they go out, you know, for to do professional work. I think you have to also think that, you know, um, having that more neutral colour palette perhaps in your wardrobe, it makes your wardrobe more timeless. So, you know, I think you'll remember if you have a meeting and you have, a, like, on, at the moment on Zoom, if you're having a meeting and you're there and somebody's sat there with a bright orange jumper... You, you'll really notice it and you'll remember it. Um, if you then had the same meeting the next week and they were wearing the same jumper, you you would remember. And I think mm. if we, perhaps that's one of the reasons why people like to maybe be more muted and because the colourful kind of clothes are more memorable, more recognisable. Um, and I think, you know, there's also a trend of people having perhaps more neutral clothes, you know, when I say neutral, I mean more kind of, you know, sort of subtle colours, um, but then, you know, accessorising like with a bright scarf or jewellery, because um, that can quite quickly change the look and the feel of that outfit. Um, but it's still the same dress, but it looks, you know, three different ways, depending on which, you know, accessory you're using with that. Um, so I think that's probably one of the things as well that might be a factor. So one thing I, I want to talk about in a minute is fast fashion. Um, can you tell us what that is, in case people haven't heard of it before, as a phrase? Yeah, I think hopefully most people will be sort of aware with, with fast fashion, but it's very much about taking late, the latest trends, um, churning out um, fashion product quite quickly, responding to consumer demand, um, Often, sadly, the materials that are used within fast fashion products are not very of a good quality. Um, you know, there's a lot of a uh, lot about it in the press, really, about the ethics of fast fashion and fast fashion consumption, um, because it really is about consuming fashion quickly and without much thought about the longevity of a product. Um, and you know, sadly you know, if we think about things like um, the Rana Plaza disaster where we had lots of workers sadly lost their lives because of poor working conditions. Um, there's a lot of negative associations and impacts, sadly, from fast fashion. Um, but it's cheap and people like to have the latest trends and they like to change their, their wardrobe and in normal situations when we are going out, um, you know, especially for young people going out, they want to have something new to wear um, for their night out. So, Caroline, how fast is fast fashion? Because a normal sort of um, timeline for producing something, there's just thinking sort of 18 months or so ahead, aren't you, normally? So what, what what's the time that we're talking about for fast fashion? It could be months, you know, three, six months. Um, okay. You know, if you look at sort of companies like Zara, um, they respond phenomenally quickly um, 
and they really you know they replenish what's selling well they you know they do small production runs of garments so they can see what's selling well um and perhaps do more of that or you know change it slightly okay. um but yeah they they respond incredibly quickly and which is quite concerning i think um when you think traditionally we would have two collections a year um which as you say would have had you know been prepared like a year and a half or whatever in advance yeah. so yeah it's it's rapid but you could argue couldn't you that this is leading to a, an excessive consumption mm. of of textiles you know which which i i think is not sustainable I remember we had a, a student in the school once who, as part of her work, she decided personally that she wasn't going to buy any new clothes for a year. Um, and it turns out that I've been doing that for the last year because <laughs> I, I don't think I bought anything for a year. Um, and not that I bought many to begin with. Um, but in normal times, I think I think I do think we buy too many too many clothes. I, I will say to people, you should pick stuff. That you that you like, pick it in colours you like, and, and and wear those clothes. I think I've mentioned before in this podcast I've got a shirt I bought about twenty five years ago which is still as good as new, and I and I wear it often. It's good quality stuff and it lasts. So I'm sort of slightly um, negative about colour forecasting, and part of me thinks that colour forecasting isn't really forecasting at all. It's just a form of manipulation to encourage people to buy new clothes every year or even twice a year with summer and winter seasons. The other way of looking at colour forecasting, I suppose, is that it's more positively that, that people's preferences and trends do change and colour forecasting is just trying to, to, to keep up with that. I suppose if you start to look at, at some of the history, though, behind colour forecasting, you can understand why different organisations would want the security of a trend forecast well before those seasons. I think if you, if you look back into the 1960s, and I know, Steve, you had one of these, didn't you? Um, but there was a, a real problem with the midi skirt... Have you, have you heard this before? Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> Where uh, the the fashion for the time had been predicted by the designers to be a midi skirt, and they'd produced a lot of different colours, and unfortunately, nobody wanted to buy them. So the whole industry had a real shock to the system, and I think that a whole colour forecasting industry then grew up around that to try to give some security and protection to, to the companies who were producing pretty much the same sorts of products, but they were now using a constrained range of, of colours to do that. So I, th I can understand uh, where, where the forecasting has, has come from, um, but it's a bit more mysterious how it comes about. I think. Well, you, you, you've got to you've got to decide what to make and make it quite a long way in advance of when you're going to sell it. So if you, if you haven't got any forecast at all, what are you going to do? What are you going to make? I, I do understand why it's come about to to be used. But you know, if you if you have a look at the retail environment, most of the core products that are, are 
a company will sell, about 80% of them will be colours that they know work and they work in a particular yeah. sort of, of um, a sector. So perhaps the old Pareto law rules again there. So about 80% of your stock will be of these core colours. Then 20% will be these new fashion colours. And mixed in with those will be some accent colours to, to make these new fashion colours pop as well. So it gives you a, a real mix. And, and although you might think that a lot of stores are very fashionable, many of the products that they sell year to year are, are very, very similar. I think I, li I like the, um, the old uh, Coco Chanel quote. She says, the best color in the whole world is the one that looks good on you. <laughs> I've always thought that of you, Steve. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, to be honest, it's what, it's what I've been saying. I, th I think... I think people should wear what, what they like, um, but I'm not a young person. <laughs> so, <laughs> in, in many ways, I don't. I'm not the sort of person who worries too much about what I wear. Um, but I know I'm quite unusual in that regard. One of the things I've never really understood is how is like next season's like next season's colour is orange. You know, how is that decided? Because if each designer was coming up with their own, um, you know, individual palette for the season that they, they could be coming up with all sorts of different things but there seems to be a consensus that spring's key color will be orange how does that get decided? yeah so there's we have color forecasters and um companies that that this is all that they do so they and not necessarily just color as well so it might be trends relating to the i don't know this uh the style of garment um you know whether it's yeah style, colour, and so on. Um, so they look at different trends and they provide different predictions uh, for those different aspects of design. Um, and the kind of starting point for that really is about looking up about what's going on in the world. Um, so, you know, politically, economically, environmentally, socially, um, they'll be looking at all these kind of um, big factors, global factors, um, and then interpreting how that may then influence fashion. Um, you know, we, there's always that, um, uh, an example where, you know, with the, the length of women's skirts going up or down, depending on the economy. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, so these, tr these forecasters, they look at what's going on and interpret how that could have an effect on fashion. And there's a relatively, relatively small number of these really dominant forecasters aren't there there's sort of three or four big agencies who who do this so that, that's where the okay. similarity and that that then filters down to other to other places yeah you could argue they're all looking at the same world yeah <laughs> and there's been an argument for a long time that that, that what they're trying to do is pick up on the, the, the zeitgeist basically what what is the current feeling going on in the world so they would argue mm. they all come to rather similar conclusions um I think it's also fair to say that they also are influenced by each other. So recently I did an analysis of something called colour of the year. So that's become, in the last 10 years particularly, a lot of companies, obviously Pantone I think started it, have started producing the, the colour of the year. Um, and most of the big paint companies do it now, for example. And we did an analysis of all the colours that they pick and we found some evidence that they affect each other. 
So it's like herd mentality, you know, to be safe. If one mm. big company goes for these colours a few months later, it's no surprise that some smaller companies produce some similar companies. I think there's a, a little bit of, of sheep mentality going on because it's, it's, it's safer. But then at their... Maybe a little bit of a little bit of espionage maybe, but as well. They are, they're all looking at the same <laughs> world, um, and yeah, it's it's a, it's a really interesting process. I think it's a bit more formalised than that, really, though, because if you look at the sorts of channels where you see the colour forecasts come from, then you have national and international colour forecasts, which are usually based on national bodies. Um, then you have trade shows, um, colour consultancies, where, which is where that's all they do. You have independent forecasters, trade seminars and magazines yeah. as well, and they all fill, uh, feed into this system. And also the big agencies, they, they don't just say this colour or these colours are popular. There'll be a separate forecast for women's wear, you know, a separate forecast for, for trainers, for example. They, 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 they break it down quite... Yeah, quite narrowly, I think, in terms of markets and products. Don't yeah, they? materials, mm-hmm. um, different market segments, uh, menswear, womenswear, um, accessories. Um, interesting. I was looking at. Um, I've been talking a bit about trends with my students um, recently, and we were looking at some trend reports. And I thought it was really interesting that there's one of them was talking about sort of transitional colours and um, sort of with the youth market as well. So perhaps a reflection on the economy, perhaps people not spending as much money, having a wardrobe which can kind of transition between different seasons um, that can already go, you know, new products that will go with items that they already have in their wardrobe. Um, so I think that, that that's a nice example, really, of how people are thinking about the global kind of situation and the economy and how that may then impact on people's choices. You know, do I want to have spend lots of money on one outfit that's very bright and colourful and very distinctive or could I spend maybe slightly less and have a couple of um, a couple of garments which perhaps I could then wear in different ways or or accessorise differently I'm not representative of of young people obviously Um, it goes without saying Um, but but I think people do want to change what they're wearing and and be be, um, contemporary Um, but bearing in mind it's also not sustainable so there's this sort of difficult tension between... And I think even the manufacturers, by the way, have a difficult tension. They, they want to be responsible manufacturers, responsible retailers, but they also have to satisfy shareholders by um, keeping sales up and maybe even increasing sales. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very difficult. But there are some extreme or um, uh, unusual potential solutions to this, aren't there? So one thing I've heard about is the idea that we, we stop buying clothes, apart from sort of basic T-shirts and jeans, for example, that you, you use for podcasts. Um, but instead, um, if you want to go out somewhere on a Friday night, um, you, you, you go somewhere and you, you hire, you rent your clothes. Um, you wear them, the, you know, the latest Chanel outfit. Uh, you wear it one night, two night, and, and take it back. Just as we might do, for example, some people do this with dinner jackets, don't they? Or, or um, I know you're a big fancy dress uh, party guy, you, so <laughs> you can probably talk about that in a minute. But is is that is that is that a viable future, Caroline? Do you think people leasing clothes rather than buying them? Is that is that a way we can make 
fashion more sustainable? Yeah, there are companies that are doing this, um, you know, hiring out, you know, a wardrobe and so on. And I think that type of thing is quite appealing for, as you say, if it's like a big event, you know, it's a special occasion. You don't want to spend like a couple of thousand pounds on a on a designer dress, but you could perhaps rent it for a lot less. Um, you can have a new handbag every week, effectively. Yeah, and, and some people do. Yeah, some people yeah. do this. Well, look um, at like the fil- film awards, the Oscars. They are, they're all rented, aren't they? All just yeah, at, at the top level, know. they all rent, don't yeah. they? They just wear them at once, and then that's, that's yeah. it. But it's whether that could circulate down to be a sort of a, a, a thing that a normal, typical person would do. Yeah, I think it depends on the product as well. So, you know, yes, you might want a nice dress for an event, um, but would you want to rent? like athleisure you know active wear like your gym kit would you want that or you know you'd probably (laughs) you'd probably want to have your own in but I suppose that may be like a a lower price point um so I think it probably depends on the market and what 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 the products are um but I mentioned to you didn't I Steve the other day about you know what what does the future look like really for fashion and yeah and I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently um I think especially because we are spending more and more time online and you know when we're in meetings often people are sat there with their sort of digital background you know it's a simulated background um and on things like social media apps obviously you can have filters and things you know on your face or whatever and I, interesting i think a lot of um young influencers um are kind of starting to be pulled up on this because it could be you know, if they're, if they're showing like a beauty product, it could be seen as false advertising mm. if they've got a filter on as well. Um, yeah. But it's got me thinking um, a lot more about, you know, digital fashion. Um, and, you know, if we are online all the time, could we be kind of sat there with a, a digital garment, you know, so when you're speaking to somebody, it looks like you've, you're wearing some kind of beautiful yeah, top, I mean, but it's simulated. So, for example, some of these backgrounds we've been using some of them, actually, they look as if the person's there. They're hard to tell apart. And that will only get better over the next few years. Software gets better. But what if you could change your top or your dress? Exactly. That way. That's a way, then, of self-expression, yeah. which is sustainable. And, and you could even extend it and think about people who spend time in virtual worlds. So um, I, I, I can think of two examples. This week, my son asked me for £10 to spend on Minecraft. And they showed me what he got for it. He said, I, I gave £10 to this person who was, this was for charity, but that wasn't my son's motivation. Um, he said, look what I got. He got a cloak. <laughs> right? a, a, a virtual cloak to wear in Minecraft, right? um, which cost £10. So he, he's, he's the future. You know, young people in the future will think nothing of paying money for virtual clothes. And I also saw, Helen will be interested in this because Helen and I play Fortnite uh, very badly uh, together. <laughs> um, we get whooped by some eight-year-olds on a regular basis. Um, but I, I never saw this, Helen, but there was, uh, I think a year ago, there was actually a fashion show for Fortnite. Oh, really? Where they actually organised a virtual fashion event where you could sort of team up with another person and you had to basically kit yourself out in whatever you thought was most fetching you know it's not only the um garments but the um the accessories like the pickaxe or whatever 
and also the emotes because you can get these things doing emotes. Then you basically walk down this virtual catwalk <laughs> in front of hundreds of thousands of people, virtual people. Yeah, it's may, maybe there's a future in virtual fashion, in digital fashion. That's really interesting, yeah. Caroline. There's um, a brand uh, or company called Fabricant um, that recently sold this, uh, yeah, this digital dress. Uh, it was like nine and a half thousand dollars. <laughs> and it, I mean, the image is beautiful. Like it looks like there's somebody stood on a roof and, and they're wearing this digital garment, which is kind of moving and it's, you know, it's beautiful. But you just, mm. I can't quite believe that someone paid that much money for a digital dress. But you know, you could have a truly sustainable wardrobe, um, change the colour of the garments whenever you wanted, and, yeah, who knows? Hmm. I said, just talking about changing the colour of garments, there was something I saw just on BBC earlier today about uh, sort of a smart technology, and it was mentioning about clothes, you know, potentially having clothes that could change colour with your mood, that kind of thing. So you, you, you know, you, you need one outfit, as you say, and it, it could become many different things depending on. I remember what you going do. to Brussels once with a, a consortium of academics, and we were trying to put together a European Community-funded project, and the theme was um, changing colour at the flick of a switch. And the idea was, what if your wallpaper, your carpets, and your clothes? could all just change their colour, um, just like that. That In that way, um, okay, not, not style, but in terms of colour, mm. you could have a different T-shirt every day or a different wallpaper every day. Yeah, you could have, you could, what, you, you could change your, I mean, this isn't digital particularly, but it's about what if real materials could change their colour. Um, so it's, it's not completely outlandish. So, for example... There is this thing called sort of digital paper now, isn't there? Which is sort of a flexible material, which you could make a, a, a screen out of. So you could imagine having a whole wall, which is effect, effectively a, uh, a screen. Um, I, I saw last year some fantastic displays which had such fantastic deep blacks. It looked like paper. It didn't look like a screen. So you could imagine as technology improves, you could have walls that literally change colour um, or have images displayed on them or something like that. Um, clothes are more difficult. There's, there have been some work done with people putting LED lights inside garments. Um, mm. I haven't seen a lot that is very practical or which is really going to work. Have you, Caroline? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've seen sort of some work from some sort of young up-and-coming designers and they're, they, they're looking at this type of thing. Um, but it's not always commercial. It's not commercial. You know, it's, it's the idea that there are different no. concepts. Um, but certainly I think, you know, I could see it happening. I think that, you know, we could develop that technology, you know, it, it, it will definitely be moved on from, you know, it was like more kind of eighties, wasn't it? With the color changing t-shirts and things. So, you know, thermochromic materials you know i think we we yeah. want to move on from that and have something that as you say steve is more you can yeah. control the color more and, and have more um yeah more variety of colors and, and things with it the difficulty we have is a lot of the color changing technology like philips do a, a textile garment don't they loom alive or something like that which is led based 
Um, but again, you've got something which is sort of display-based, and most of the, the properties of drape that we have in normal textiles and, mm. um, and how they feel, etc., um, then you're starting to be constrained in what you can actually do at the moment. But do you have an emissive type uh, fabric which is producing its own light or do you produce something more reflective like we're seeing in um, things like uh, thermochromic um, clothes or fabrics? Um, Interestingly, they were talking about uh, a mask that's just been made for COVID, haven't they? that will change colour based on the temperature of the wearer. So we've had lots of these clever dyes and materials. We just haven't found a way of embedding that colour change um, and giving it a decent lifetime into a garment, really. And you've got to think about like the washability and the durability of those types of clothes. You know, if you've got electrochromic material... You know, how are you going to kind of maintain that? And what if it rains and you're walking outside? <laughs> well, I, I, happen to know, I happen to know that she, she has done some work on, on nanomaterials, which is a way of creating coloured materials, which is maybe more sustainable because you're not using dyes and, and heat and energy and things like that. But one of the problems with them, I think, is that, is that are, are those materials then practical? Can you wash them? Can you wear them in the same way? You know, is it going to rub off on the surface? It's it's not easy, is it? To, to, to no, it's it's to... it's the encapsulation and it's the um, the adhesion of these. Basically, you're you're modifying the light signal based on the physical structure of the of the surface at a very very small scale. So they work quite well, and in theory, you could use them reasonably well for things like paints and prints. But actually, keeping them stuck onto textile materials is, is more of a challenge and it's something that we're we're still looking at. I mean when you think what you know someone's t shirt goes through during wear and, and washing and everything else, it's pretty incredible that they, they don't change even as little as they do. Mm. Well again that depends on how it's made, doesn't it? And you know, on on the how the dyeing process and all that type of thing. Um, you know, if we think back to when we talk about fast fashion you know, often the the quality of those products are so poor, um, they've been dyed in not a particularly good way, so we lose a lot of colour, the fibres fibrillate really easily, you know, before you know it, you've washed it two, three times and it's it's no longer of a good quality, so people throw it away. Um, whereas, you know, if we can really mm-hmm. manufacture and colour textiles and, and fashion in a in a more both sustainable but also in a good quality using a good quality process where it does it is durable and it can wash well and so on then we'll you know we're more likely to keep those clothes aren't we and to wear them more we're, we're all in the uk aren't we i mean i did hear that the uk is one of the the worst offenders in a way in terms of our consumption of textiles per person does that ring a bell with you two you three you heard that so we use a lot we basically buy a lot of clothes yeah it wouldn't surprise me a lot of those clothes end up in landfill, actually, which is a really depressing thing. And the reason for that is that when they're designed and manufactured, they're not made with their disposal in mind. You know, if, if you're going to make it something that can be easily reused, broken down into raw materials and made into something else, 
you've got to think about that at the beginning of the cycle, not at, not at the end. Um, so it, it, it is a problem. They, they use a lot of energy, they use a lot of water uh, to make these things, to dye them. And then you have got to get rid of them at the end, at the end of the day. Um, so I, I, I honestly think it's um, our current way of consumption is, is, isn't, I don't think, sustainable. Um, not, certainly not at the global level. Um, but, but there are all sorts of things that could change it. You know, technology we've been speaking about. Um, social change, i.e. leasing things rather than... I mean, I, I've leased a car for the first time in my life rather than buying a car. You know, that's a, that's a change in my behaviour over 20, 30 years. Um, could, yeah, could we be leasing clothes in the future? Quite possibly. I think there's also some nice um, designers that are doing work with upcycling of materials or using unconventional materials um, to create fashion product. So mater perhaps industrial materials that would otherwise go to waste. Um, so someone like Rayburn, uh, Christopher Rayburn, you know, he produces garments using like old parachutes. So, you know, those would otherwise just, as you say, go to landfill, uh, be incinerated or whatever. But actually by using that material that, you know, because it is a, a good quality material, it's made to last, it's robust. Um, you are restricted, I guess, by the colour of, mm. of that product, you know, of the material. Um, but you can create some really fantastic designs from that and fantastic fashion product from that. So perhaps we'll see that happening more. People using surplus material that would go to waste and repurposing it for fashion. I think, Do you think the, fact, the fact that we're buying more online... I mean, we are buying more things online now because of COVID. But that's a trend which has been occurring anyway and will probably continue. Is, is that changing the way people buy things? Do they buy different things online, do you think? Well, if you think about all the uh, fast fashion brands, like how well they've been doing <laughs> throughout this past year, um, and, you know, the sad collapse of, of, you know, British icons like Arcadia, you know, it's, I think... If you're working online, you know, you haven't got the cost of physical stores, um, so your, your overheads are lower, um, and they work on a real rapid turnaround. Um, and I think as a society, we are on our phones, our devices a lot more. So digital marketing has just exploded. Um, you know, you have a real captive audience, and I think fashion in particular, you know, uses things like social media and digital marketing really cleverly um, to, you know, to attract people to buy from them. I wonder if people are braver online and, and tend to buy more colourful things or whether they're, they're more conservative online. Yeah, I think there was an article, wasn't there, recently along those lines? Uh, I saw something saying, yeah. I can't, was it saying people are, are less conservative? Yeah, so people online. Shop, shopping online, people are more likely to buy more colourful clothes than if they were to walk into a store and, and buy it may something. Be, I mean, it may be people are braver online because you see the image of the garment on somebody and on a model and it looks fantastic. Rather, when you're in the shop, you just see it hanging on, hanging on the rack. It doesn't give you the same image does it of how it's going to be where you get you get an image on online and, and sometimes it's a false image uh quite 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 often it's quite more more often than not actually now and um, but you because you see it on a model you see that 
that uh, gives you an image of how you might look in it. You might be more brave. You, you must have seen seen this thing in the papers. I've seen a few of them where people show a picture of what the garment looked like with the model online and then yeah. what it looked like on them when they took it home. And it's very, very different, yeah. as you say, Helen. It's... Uh, these adverts pop up on social media quite a lot. It's like it'll be a new company that's only been around for a month or two and they, they have incredible pictures and wonderful yeah, garments and then when you get them, they're like very, very poor quality. And then, of course, you can't send it back. Part of the problem when you buy online, you can be braver with the colours, but I, I find I'm probably less brave buying online because I know if it's not going to fit or I don't like it, I've then got the... I mean, you can, you can send it back, back to but it's, it's a hassle, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. Mm. And you might not get your money back and then you haven't yeah. got your money but and I, you haven't I think got that's your interesting what you're saying there about, you know, seeing it on somebody. And I think you're right. Often, you know, if you, especially maybe mm. high street brands, like you'll see an image, if it's just like an image of the garment, it might be photoshopped to be a different colour. Um, and you, you can kind of tell you're not really convinced that you actually know what that mm. colour is going to be. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly the same image, isn't it? With different so a few colors, years yeah. ago, there was this idea. I think, didn't they call them magic mirrors or something? So you stand in front of a mirror, for example, uh, but it's not really a mirror, it's a screen. And it basically shows you, as you're standing there, wearing different clothes. Right? Um, oh, okay. That you could effectively virtually try on. In your in your home, so that's that's also what you're saying, Helen, about visualizing how it looks on you or somebody mm. else. Definitely is a, a sort of a thing that makes you feel a bit braver to buy it. But th- but those mirrors have yeah no, and I think they're really more kind of in store type things. You know, often yeah, I, d- I don't I, yeah, I don't think we're going to really see that in everyone's home. Gimmicky, so I don't think. Um, and I, I do think that people like to try on things. I think there's you get a, you know, you can really kind of touch and feel that fabric and see the proper colour. I think I'd, I'd be surprised if we, we, if that changes. I think people do like to try things on. So we're getting towards the end, probably. Um, if if I was a young person, Caroline, I, mean, I don't know if you know, know this or not, but what what are the colours next summer? Do you know anything about that? <laughs> what colours? What are the colours? Yeah. What what are the colours you should be buying? Hot, hot insider tips. <laughs> I, I think it probably depends on on you. As you said before, you've got you've got to buy stuff. I personally, I think you have to buy things that you're going to keep and that you're going to wear. Um, and yeah, I know I probably shouldn't say this, but not be too trend led. <laughs> I think thinking about the longevity of your wardrobe is important. So no, I, I, take, I do. I, you know, I do agree, and, and you know. I, you know what my wardrobe because we have many meetings on on Zoom and things. But, you know, I'm always wearing sort of blues and blacks and greys, and that's definitely my comfort zone. Um, but you know, it's a personal choice, isn't it? And and as I said before, I think colour. Some people love to use colour in fashion to express themselves, um, whereas other people prefer a more kind of tonal muted colour palette. Um, yeah, so I, I wouldn't be too trend-led. I wouldn't worry too much about what next year's colour is. <laughs> so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about um, lots of different um, effects of colour. We've spent a long time in this podcast so far talking about 
colour blindness and colour vision and spectral sensitivities and and um, intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. Things you love, Steve. Uh, things you love. <laughs> things I, I absolutely love. Um, but I think going forward, we're going to talk more about things like what meanings do, color have, do colours have? When you wear certain colours, what messages are you sending out? Um, and also, how do different colours make you feel or behave or perform? So there's some really surprising um, studies in, in that area. For example, you know, football teams wearing certain colours and doing better than others, or people taking part in, in martial arts at the Olympics and doing better if they're wearing red and if they're wearing blue. Um, so those are the sort of things I think we're going to be talking about over the next um, few weeks, if we can be bothered to do it. Um, <laughs> so um, thanks for joining us, Caroline. Um, oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Else, has anybody else, anybody else got anything to say or add? I could tell you what the Pantone colours are for this year, but obviously there's a range, but they still have a colour of the year, don't they? So there's a grey... And there's uh, a yellow for this year called Illuminating. Yeah, well, funnily enough, they've, they've actually chosen two colours of the year this year, haven't they? A yellow and a grey. I know that. Um, I was going to say, if you'd asked us what, what colour we were going to predict for this year, I was going to say yellow. There you are. Forecast. And, of course, um, I would say yeah, yeah. about your professor <laughs> at work, Steve, that black is style and colour is fashion. Very good. <laughs> ah, very good. That's, a, that's, a, bit, that's a really nice part to end. So um, thanks for coming in, Caroline. And, uh, My pleasure. Speak to everyone in a, in a week, hopefully. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.